Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Hi, I'm Kristen Soltis Anderson, Republican pollster, ABC News contributor, and co-host of the podcast, The Pollsters. And I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research and the other co-host of The Pollsters. And we're in our lovely studio where we record our show every week. And this week we're doing our usual uh, ABC Facebook Live segment from here, where we're going to talk about what we do when we record the show and uh, talk a little bit about that new ABC poll that came out this week and uh, and tease a little bit about the things we're going to be covering in this week's show. So you're going to get to watch a little bit of how uh, the magic happens, um, how we sort of walk our listeners through some brief announcements. Then we talk our top lines. Top lines is the word that pollsters use to talk about the sort of overall uh, results of a survey. Uh, so we'll talk about the top lines, the overall results of things we're going to talk about on the show. Um, and then we are going to dig in a little bit to uh, ABC's latest poll um, that uh, has been tracking the race. So. Yeah, it was one of the most popular things that we put on our Facebook page in the last week or so. So people really were excited to see the results. So I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we don't have too many announcements this week. The first one is we're recording on a Monday. Usually we record a little bit later in the week, but we're both traveling. It's crazy time. So <laughs> we just want to take the little brief window we have before Kristen has to go to something and I have to jump on and a plane. for our listeners, right now you can – be, you could be watching our show live. You could be watching us record this live in That's real time. Right. If you like the This Week page on Facebook, um, ABC News is This Week. Uh, Margie and I are taping this episode. The very beginning part of it is going to be live on their Facebook page. That's awesome. So make sure you like them so that in the future, if this happens again, that's right. You're ready. You'll be ready. You can be fully surround sound of your show plus watching on Facebook. <laughs> now, the other announcement is folks who have been following along with the Walmart Moms Project that I've been working on with Republican pollster Neil Newhouse, who's been a guest on the show many months ago. We have another round. It's the last round of focus groups before the election. That's tomorrow night. So if you're following the hashtag Walmart Moms, I live tweet it and also the other reporters who watch the uh, groups will be live tweeting it. So it should be pretty exciting. Always a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun. So this week's top lines. Uh, is the presidential race close enough to even talk about? This week, we're actually going to devote a shockingly small amount of our show to talking about the presidential race because the race has gotten so wide. And where the real drama in action is now is the U.S. Senate. With two weeks to go to decide control of Congress, we're going to do a deep dive into the states that could decide who is running the U.S. Senate come January. Then, do voters think this election has been won about the issues? 
Spoiler alert, <laughs> they do not. And finally, spouses and 2016. Has this election been creating marital discord? We've talked on the show before about whether people are losing friends and social media followers over the election. But really going to get into now whether this is causing angst on the home front. Yes. Um, but first, some non-Senate stuff. Margie, what are we seeing? So, well, the first uh, big news over the weekend was the new ABC poll that showed Clinton at 50 with a double-digit lead. Everyone kind of went bananas because it was such a massive lead. And, and about, wasn't it about a week ago that ABC had the race much closer? I think at yes. a, about a four-point race. So this is a big shift for ABC's poll showing that now that the debates are over and given the controversies of the last few weeks, it seems as though this race has really opened up. So, but there are a lot of issues issues besides just the national horse race. Obviously, the national horse race, it's showing in just about every poll with a couple outliers that Clinton has a pretty sizable lead. And we're going to talk, obviously, about what's going on in some of the states. But it's not just about where the horse race is. It's uh, things beneath the surface. So there are two things that really stood out. One is the demographic subgroups. And we've talked about the ABC sub, uh, subgroups before. They show uh, with white men without a college degree Trump is up 31 points among white women with a college degree, so the opposite subgroup. Clinton is up 32 points. I mean, the real mirror image. And just those are just massive, massive yeah. numbers. So it, it, that's just reinforcing a pattern that we've been seeing now for a while. And can Trump run up the score with white, non-college-educated men and be where he is with other groups and win? You know, the answer is increasingly no. That doesn't really seem to be the case. Even with that large re- lead, he'd have to get you know, 100% of them, you know, basically all of those guys to maybe be competitive. The other thing that I thought was interesting is they asked a couple of questions in the ABC poll about uh, Trump and the election's legitimacy. Do you think he's just making excuses or do you think he has a legitimate concern, a majority, 59% to say Trump is making excuses about saying the election is going to be rigged because of voter fraud. And two-thirds say they disapprove of Trump refusing to say whether or not he'd accept the outcome, that he's keeping people in suspense. Now, in in some sense, I mean, with 29 percent saying they approve of Trump refusing to say whether he'd accept the outcome if he loses, bear in mind, anytime you're asking questions where you're saying, do you approve of Trump doing X or do you approve of Hillary Clinton doing Y, you're going to get, I think, a floor of about three out of ten people saying Yes. Remember, Trump famously said I could stand on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and I wouldn't lose my supporters. This election has really tested that kind of hypothesis that can candidates kind of do anything and lose a core base of supporters. And so it doesn't surprise me that for uh, a question like this, you would see about 29 percent of people saying yes. Like no matter what Trump says, if he says he protests the end of the election, that's fine. I approve of it. I think the more sort of interesting or troubling one is that, you know, you have 39 percent of people who say that Trump's complaints that the election might be rigged through voter fraud, that that's legitimate. That's a lot of people who think that this election is not going to play out in a legitimate way. Um, And for us as pollsters, something that's fascinating is normally the way you detect election fraud is that you do good polling. And if the election is weirdly, dramatically different from the polls, and there's no way to explain why the polls are off. And this is how, you know, the, the U.S. government and international observers decide if there is election fraud happening in other countries. Um, so here, sort of by Trump sort of attacking the polls over the last couple of months or over a year, I guess, has really laid an interesting groundwork then for him to be able to say, well, no, 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 this election is rigged because you would normally use the polls to say, well, if the polls showed Clinton up by 10 and she wins by 10, then it's it, that's not rigged. That's 
Right. That's correct. But if he's already undercut the legitimacy of the polls amongst his supporters, it makes it easier then, if the polls are right, to continue to sort of say that the election is rigged. So what we don't know, and yes, yeah, so 74% of Republicans say it is legitimate, right? right. So that's a pretty large number. Um, the issue is not as much about what how people view Donald Trump and how he views the polls and whether or not the election is rigged, is what voters are going to do when and if Trump loses? Do voters then also rise up with him? If he refuses to accept the results, do voters then stand behind him and, you know, demand something or other or, or just doubt the legitimacy of our election and of our next president? And that we can't tell. I mean, we won't know until we get there. Obviously, it'll depend on the margin. It'll depend on what happens, what Trump does, what other folks do. Um, it'll be hard to really predict what kind of catalyst or spark might lead to something really catastrophic. But the polls suggest that there is a group that says, you know, not insignificant group that says, yeah, he, you know, I, I doubt whether or not these uh, results will be uh, legitimate. So that's the ABC poll, some sobering news about about that. And then on to the Senate. Now, the Senate is obviously really in play. Most handicappers have been showing Democrats with the advantage, not consistently this whole cycle, but right now for sure. That's different, though, from the issue of ticket splitting and what people say they want to do about ticket splitting, which is not always what they actually will do, but what they think about themselves. They'd like to believe about themselves in terms of ticket splitting. What right. did you think when you saw the NBC Wall Street Journal poll? So there are a lot of different things that are at play. First is the question of will people who say they're going to ticket split actually do so? And in a bunch of states, and we'll dig into them here um, on the show a little bit later, you do see Republican candidates in some cases polling pretty significantly ahead of where Donald Trump polls. So presumably you have people that are saying, I'm voting for Hillary Clinton or I'm voting for Gary Johnson or I'm voting for Jill Stein, but I'm also voting for Rob Portman. I'm also voting for Pat Toomey, something like that. Um, so one of the questions that is consistently asked by pollsters is what we call the generic ballot question, the um if the election were held today, would you rather see con Congress controlled by Republicans or Congress controlled by Democrats? So you're not asking, are you voting for person X or person Y, Republican candidate X or Republican or Democratic candidate Y? You're just asking broadly, would you prefer that Republicans or Democrats be in Congress? Would you rather vote for the Republican or Democratic candidate? And going back over the last year or so, um, this poll shows that a slight preference of people, slight, slight plurality says they prefer Democratic-controlled Congress, 46%, while 44% say Republican-controlled Congress. Interestingly enough, this actually matches pretty closely with where things stood on the eve of the last midterm elections in that same poll, where you had slightly more people, 46%, saying they preferred a Democratically-controlled Congress, while 42% said republican It's not how Congress. we pick our uh, Congress. And that's not how we pick our Congress, because in that election, of course, Republicans Republicans did well and picked up seats. Right. So with that one metric, you would think, well, this is slightly favoring Democrats in some of these contests. But then they ask another question where they say, would you be more likely to vote for, for U.S. Congress, a Republican candidate who will be a check and balance to Hillary Clinton and congressional Democrats, or a Democratic candidate who will help Hillary Clinton and congressional Democrats pass their agenda? And on this, you have 53% saying they want the Republican who's going to be a check and balance over the 40% who say they want a Democratic candidate who will help Hillary Clinton pass her agenda. So this makes it really interesting because you now have some of these Republican senators in states where Donald Trump's not doing very well. 
do they begin running with messaging that sort of concedes that Trump's not going to win and says, look, Hillary Clinton's going to be in the White House. So wouldn't you rather have someone who can be a check and balance on her and make sure that her agenda has to be comp- – we have, she has to compromise with Republicans on some things? Um, it'll be interesting to see which candidates decide to go with that messaging. You know, the other – piece of this is if we had asked this question, if they had asked this question, um, would you prefer a Republican who voted for Donald Trump or a Democrat who said Donald Trump is, you know, at, you know, too extreme and too unpredictable, unfit to be president, then we'd have a very different response right. than check and balance versus anything else. People love check and balance. No, no people don't want to say, I hate check and balance. I want something else, right? It's that, and it's not to, to, um, well, to integrate the question because this is kind of a standard question and also measure something important. It's yeah, just not the only. And it's not just measure. saying, do you like check and balance or not? It's putting up against it the Democratic candidate, Democratic controlled Congress. Who would help Hillary Clinton pass her agenda? Presumably, there are people who earlier in this poll, Hillary Clinton was winning in this particular poll by 10 points. So if she's winning in that poll by 10 points, but she's losing on this question by right. 13, that that's sort of where you figure out where could these ticket splitters potentially be? What percentage of people say, I'm voting for Hillary Clinton, but I'd also like to have a – I don't necessarily want her whole agenda implemented. So that's what I think is the most right. interesting is you have both of these questions in the same poll. Right, right. So we're going to dig really deep in this week's show and all the battle or a lot of the battleground Senate races. So that's Nevada or Indiana, North Carolina, New Hampshire, um, Florida a little bit. Um, so we have uh, uh, we have lots of uh, int- Missouri. We have lots of interesting states to talk about. So don't forget to look up the pollsters on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and you can uh, hear all about it. And thanks to everybody watching us on this week. Thanks. Okay. So welcome back, usual listeners. (laughs) So usual listeners, uh, this is the point where we have now stopped our live stream on this week. So if you're coming to us and subscribing to the show because you watched us on this week, welcome. This is the new stuff. This is the stuff you haven't seen yet. This is the deep dive. Uh, Yes. Too long for Facebook. Good for a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are the real like hardcore supporters. We can can really dig into the the good stuff. People consume differently at different platforms. Um, so yeah, so you know, we the upshot has some really great uh, visual ways of looking at this, but we're going to talk about you know stuff from a variety of sources. But they show the forecasts f- across all the different forecasters and what they predict is the, the average of the forecast. The average, of the, right? The average of the which forecast. are sometimes based on averages. Exactly <laughs> right. So the New York Times has sixty eight percent, five thirty eight has sixty nine percent. This is of Dems uh, to having the Senate. Huffington Post, 64%. There's not that much difference here. Princeton, I mean, predict-wise, is 78%. Princeton, 82. I think that's 82. I need to get glasses. Um, and then Daily Coast is 64, lest you think that Daily Coast would skew Democratic. It's right there where everybody else is. Um, and then Cook and Rothenberg and Crystal Ball, who are like the – we had Charlie Cook on the show. They are like the – you know, that they've been handicapping before – there were people forecasting stuff on the internet. Those those folks were doing um, handicapping, and they have toss up. They don't, you know, they don't put a number on it. They just, you know, they say, look, this is these are toss ups. It's too close to call, and that's the safe call, which indeed it is. And they have a cool thing on their website. If you take a look on the upshot, where they see, you know, they you can compare what the rankings are for every single state across every single forecaster which i think is an incredible tool because what this shows 
is, you know, people I know refresh to see like what the latest is on 538 all day. I mean, they're not really showing big differences here. There's only one state that some forecasters say might go Republican and others may go Democratic, and that's Pennsylvania. Every other state, they all rate it the same. It's just what's that rating? Is it like 68% Democratic or 72% Democratic? Or are they putting it in the toss-up category? That just depends on how each particular house looks at this. But you can see here, there's no kind of like secret set of battleground states that like one forecaster looks at and the others don't. They're all rating all the battleground states in basically the same way. Yeah, the only way, I mean, if you're looking for like a sleeper pick, um, I mean, this chart still has Cook Political Report putting Ohio as lean Republican. But that I feel like that can't be right. That has to be like an outdated. I feel like they've got to refresh that rating because, you know, that's it's an odd thing to jump out of this chart where everything else is like, nope, Rob Portman's got this. The polls are pretty consistent. Um, so you can see, you know, the 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 few places where certain handicappers or models have, you know, in fantasy football, you would call it a sleeper pick. Like you've identified something that maybe nobody else is seeing. And so your take on them is a little different. Um, I mean, I guess if you're looking at this now, you could say that predict wise or and Cook maybe have Ohio as kind of a sleeper pick. I mean, uh, Indiana is one where there's, you know, five thirty eight gives can Rand Paul a, a one out of four chance of not winning, according to this, if I'm reading it right. So, like, there are some weird little sleeper pick things going on here, right. but it's pr- but the story it tells is pretty consistent. Yes, right, exactly. So let's talk about some of these. Senate races. So, you know, the one thing and their their cool little spinner tool at the upshot, which you should go check out, shows how they make their model. You click to spin, which I mean, they probably don't do that when they make their model. But what they're, you know, what (laughs) is click to spin 11,000 times. (laughs) But what you can what they can show is, you know, if you want to play around with how they do their model, like if you run this many simulations, Democrats (laughs) win X number of times. That's what the little spinner tool is. And you click. This is why you need a lot of computing power to do something. Some of this stuff. That's right. Because you don't just have a person sitting there clicking right. the 538 spin button. No, but this is it, – <laughs> Tens it's, of thousands of times. It's really, it's really cool. <laughs> and the other thing that they note is that these things co-vary. So it's not like – well, of course, one state can go a different direction for all the reasons that make each state a special snowflake. They still are going to co-vary together with the pattern being what the trends are overall in the election Yeah, cycle. that's why it's not exactly a coin flip, right? You could say, okay, well, five of these Senate races are a coin flip now. So if they're each 50-50, then the odds are, you know, if you flipped a coin and you got heads five times in a row, that's how likely you'd be to win. But coin flips are independent things. The coin doesn't care that it was just heads or tails. Whether the coin is heads or tails on flip one has no effect, no relationship on whether the coin is heads or tails on flip two. That's not how elections work entirely. Right. You may, I mean, it, it's not as though the voters in Wisconsin are influencing the voters in North Carolina, but they are both being influenced by the, by the same trends. external trends. Right. And we're not talking about the House today, but the House is subject to a lot of the same whims or wins, I guess I should say, rather than whims, which is, you know, if you are, and I've seen this when I worked in house races, sometimes there's just, you know, there ain't nothing you can do. Like people are voting Republican that year or people are voting the Democrat that year. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you are, you know, Mickey Mouse or the Pope or George Clooney, you're going to be swept up, you know, in yep. in that wave because, you know, 
(laughs) People don't want to vote for your party that year. And that's just how it is. And that may be what happens in a lot of these races. But if you have House races where the map is advantageous to Republicans or a map that's advantageous to Democrats in the Senate, then, you know, then, then, you know, that's the only way you can kind of, you know, prevent uh, some of these waves. But let's talk about some of these Senate races in a little bit more detail. We're not going to get too, too deep, but just, you know, a little bit more detail. Pennsylvania, I think, is the one, as I mentioned, is the most even where there were some prognosticators who said it was going D, some said it was going R. The upshot calls it completely even. And they release all the polls. They show all the polls that they use. And a lot you can do that at Huffington Post, too. And it's not internal polls, but some of them are Dem-leaning polls. Some of them are Republican-leaning polls. Um, you know, you see, for example, you know, PPP uh, polls included in these averages and in some of these um, in some of these states or Hart or Gravis um, is uh, included in some of the averages for some of these states. So there's some, you know, D and R, even though most of them are public media polls. And states like Pennsylvania have lots of polls. Um, other states like Indiana. And Missouri don't have many polls at all included in their averages. Now, what's interesting about Pennsylvania, we talked a little bit about this last week, is, you know, Toomey has been out in front on guns. And that has made, you know, at least given the impression that he was, you know, sort of reaching across party lines early on, not waiting until, lo and behold, we had a contentious battleground tough year. He was doing it before that. Um, ARS, which is the Gabby Giffords uh, group, Americans for Responsible Solutions, came out and endorsed him, um, one of the Republicans that they endorsed because of his work on that. Will that matter? Um he has not been very clear in terms of where he is on Trump. You know, I'm going to wait. You know, he hasn't impressed me, but he's been kind of on the fence in terms. He's one of those sort of yeah. split the Trump kind of, uh, you know, Senate candidates. So what does that mean for him? Um you know, November, who knows, right? But he's been, you know, trying to distance himself, but not quite as clearly as maybe others. And have. there's another race that we're going to talk about a little later in Nevada, where you did have um, a Republican Senate candidate who came out and said, nope, I'm not with Trump anymore. And there is now questions about whether is that hurting him? Um, so, I mean, this is one of those you're damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of risk situations. If you're to me, uh, no matter what you say, you're going to tick off an awful lot of voters. But can you survive making it all the way to the election day saying nothing? Right. Yeah, I don't know, right? And these are the things that, you know, for a Senate race, you can get out, you can you can get across a little bit more detailed information than you can if you're a House race. If you're a you know, candidate for House, you're like, well, but I said this, and then this time I said that, but then when Trump did that, like, you're never going to get that information across. Like, it's just too hard. You have one expensive media market with a billion other ads for the presidential candidates or the Senate candidates. You can't get your, you know, nuanced Trump position or your nuance anything out. Um, it's very hard. Now, Indiana is a state where now buy is up for so to give change. yeah, so I'll we'll, I'll give listeners a little bit of background on on the Indiana race. So in Indiana, you had um, an open seat. Uh, the candidate on the Republican side is a, a former you know, member of Congress, Todd Young, moving from the Senate or moving from the House to the Senate. Um, and so Evan Bayh, who the Bayh last name B A Y H is like a big political name in Indiana. Um, and he's been in the Senate before, That's and right. then left the Senate and. Kind of did this like, oh, by like by very like bipartisan, oh, I'm pushing to like make change. And then also did a lot of lobbying stuff for which he is really getting hammered now. Um, so there were sort of 
the the attack against him and this is i think the the theme over all of these races is that candidates matter that there are big national dynamics that are making things really hard for republicans but places where republicans are able to outshine trump the candidates matter you've got rob portman whose race we're not even going to talk about today because ohio is just so in the bag like he did everything right Good candidates matter. On the other hand, there are some Republicans who we're going to talk about who a couple months ago, like these Rich, races weren't on like the Richard agenda. Burr, right. Yeah. And they just sort of like let their race get away from them. So candidates matter. So in this case, Indiana was one of those seats that Republicans were probably going to pick up. And then all of a sudden, Evan Bayh says, nope, I'm running for the seat. So again, big name in Indiana, famous political name there, well-liked, had you know lots of positive name ID. Um, and when he jumped back in the race, then all of a sudden it was like, by up by large margins. Right. But he's been getting hammered on one, the fact that after he left, he went into these really lucrative lobbying jobs. I think, did, didn't he have like a, a Fox News contract? That, he had a, a, a contract with one of, I think it was Fox that was like very well compensated, like made a lot of, basically made a lot of money right. out of being in the Senate. And w when it was interviewed at one point, was asked what his Indiana address was and didn't know. And that was exactly what happened to Richard Luger. Yeah. And who like, I think didn't have a driver's license in Indiana anymore. Sorry, Richard Luger, folks, if I'm getting that not quite right, but it was something like that. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, so he was a former a Republican point, senator who got like their representatives to be kind of living in the state that they're representing. Right. And right. so the the attack that the NRSC and Republicans are using against Bai is that he has gone to Washington, to in the establishment, to in the revolving door, to in the I'm going to make money off the system system. And so it was a race that had been very Republican. Then Bai got in and it suddenly looked pretty Democratic. And now it's still leaning Bai, I think. Yeah. Um, but, but certainly – he has proven to be a weaker candidate. Now, the other tricky thing about this state is that, of course, you have Mike Pence, who was the right. governor, who left, is now VP. So does that help turnout in that Indiana, which could be in, uh, conceivably a battleground state? Yeah, it this went is for a Obama splitting the other direction. In 2008. So is it now, you know, back, is it now sort of off the table for Democrats and it's a safe Trump-Pence state because Pence is on the ticket? Um, that said, you also have a governor's race to replace him. That's part of the reason it's alleged and seems likely that Pence took the VP pick because he was having a tough rematch with John Gregg, who yep. I know is a great guy. Um, and, uh, you know, so he's having a rematch against him. And now John Gregg is, you know, seems like he could win that uh, win that governor's race. So this is one of the few battleground states, North Carolina is the other one that has a governor's race in addition to a Senate race. So that are uh, and both of them being quite targeted. The fact that this is Pence's home state, maybe that, you know, that also adds some pressure on by or maybe not since, you know, Pence was not doing so well in his governor's race. So that's another kind of thing to look at. Now, you know, folks ask us like, why are there D, you know, pollsters and why are there R pollsters? Don't you just want to predict it? It's because we're, you know, when you're a D or R pollster, you're helping candidates with their message or helping organizations with their message along DNR partisan lines. And as you can see from this conversation, there's a lot more qualitative going on in looking at Senate polling and Senate races other than, you know, click spin. The click spin is awesome. <laughs> the click spin. <laughs> click for spin. Click to spin. It was not to not to take anything away from that. But there is also, you know, what goes behind the data that leads to the right. click so to spin. Right. So the next race we're going to talk about is a great example of that, which is New Hampshire. So I, I mean, everybody was interested in New Hampshire, right? I spent so much time in New Hampshire last year doing focus groups for various clients, um, none of which were presidential campaigns, but like everybody still wanted to know 
what the heck's up in, in New Hampshire. Right. Um, and so one question I would always ask, even though the groups weren't really about the Senate race necessarily, was what do you think about this upcoming Senate race? What do you think about Maggie Hassan? What do you think about Kelly Ayotte? So Kelly Ayotte, uh, this is her first term in the U.S. Senate, um, sort of one of those moderate Republicans, um, has kind of uh, you know tried to navigate being – moderate, but also, you know, I think taking positions on things like guns that have been more in favor of the conservative side of the party and have sort of gotten her in in trouble with, you know, more moderate forces. And um, so she's really kind of tried to like walk this very tight tightrope. The thing that was always interesting to me doing focus groups in New Hampshire is I'm so used to going into places and saying like, okay, you have this race coming up. What do you think of the two candidates? And everyone hates them. And everyone's like, oh, they're both terrible. That wasn't the case in New Hampshire. You had voters who were like, I really like Kelly Ayotte. I think she actually cares about our state. I don't agree with her and everything. But I think she's been a good job. But then I like Maggie Hassan too. And I think like you don't normally find situations where voters are like, I like both of these candidates. This now, is- this was a year ago before yeah. the airwaves <laughs> got blanketed by God knows what. But anyhow, I always thought that, that this race was interesting because – People kind of liked the two candidates. Yeah. I mean, look, Maggie Hassan is obviously an incredible recruit. She was the governor, or she still is the governor. And um, so she wasn't sort of just a upstart. I mean, she already had been elected statewide. And New Hampshire is one of very few states that has had so many women recently and currently in their statewide elected state elected office as opposed to Pennsylvania. I don't think I mentioned that Katie McGinty would be the first woman senator from Pennsylvania. I don't think Pennsylvania has ever had a woman senator or governor. First statewide. Okay. So not first statewide because, you know, Kathleen oh, Kane, oh. for example, and others were have been statewide. Well, Kathleen Kane probably. See, guys, just because you have a first woman something doesn't always mean it's great. Yeah. So anyway, so but this would be the first, I think, for Senate or governor, if not for anything else. Yes. Uh, okay. So speaking of, of – Thorny issues and controversy and gender. Yes. Let's go to North Carolina. So North Carolina is kind of like the opposite of Burr, you know, where you had Toomey. I mean, the opposite of Toomey where, you know, Toomey was like, okay, I'm going to do something on guns, presumably because he thought it was the right thing and because my state is blue. Um, Burr was like, hey, wait, hold on. I have, I have a I race. I can't stop making Aaron Burr jokes, by the way. Every time you say Burr, I want to like Burr. break out into some <laughs> Hamilton, like – all right. Anyhow, so he's up point four <laughs> according to the upshot, and in the last, you know, in the, I mean, and in most of the last five polls, he's been up, but the, just by a hair. And remember, this is one of those states that is actually very competitive on the presidential race. Pennsylvania is cooked for Clinton, it seems. Indiana probably cooked for Trump. Um, he spoke in New- Gettysburg yesterday, Margie. How can we say that Pennsylvania's off the table? Well, he took a, he took money off of some of the off the television, some of the smaller markets. Yeah. Anyway, in New Hampshire is battleground on the presidential race, but in North Carolina, battleground for the presidential race. It's a state that went for Romney and in twelve, and it went for uh, Obama against McCain. So, you know, it should be um, it should be a Republican state in order for Trump to have a good path. The fact that it's a tough is tough for him, but it also means that Burr, you know, is unable to really, you know put it away. Also, you have a targeted governor's race, a battleground governor's race. Now, one of the issues here was abuse. There were some uh, attacks on the Democratic candidate, Deborah Ross, that she was weak on sexual abuse and her time, I think, at the ACLU. She ran an ad with one of the people that she co-sponsored a bill with about sexual abuse. And he was like, I don't know what Burr is talking about, basically. i prepped for this. I was going to talk about this on a show last week, which is what I was like. I re- watched all the Burr Ross ads and 
I thought, well, you know, this is not really so good for Burr if he if this is going to be about sexual abuse. If this is a campaign that's about who's tougher on sexual abuse, um, while Democrats may supposedly be weak on that, maybe the fact is you have the top of the ticket that you know. Anyway, it's obviously complicated. And then on top of that, you add this layer of HB two, the bathroom bill, which maybe I don't know. Voters have regret. But maybe they don't feel like this is part of the new kind of new forward looking North Carolina. Well, I I was I in North know. Carolina a few weeks ago and one of the ads that was on TV f- in favor of the Democratic gubernatorial candidate was about – it wasn't just about like the discrimination side of things. But it was about the fact that you now have so many companies saying, oh, we can't do this in North Carolina. Right. Or we can't have our conference in North Carolina. Or we can't – I don't want to set up my headquarters in North Carolina. By the way, an issue with Indiana too with RIFRA. Right. Um, so so in in these cases, it's not just – they're not just making a case about the, the sort of social issue piece of it, but making the case that it is also an economic issue. Right. So the other state – so North Carolina is one of those states that was like on the periphery of – Maybe this is a state we should be watching for the Senate. But, I mean, if you really went back, the big states that people were focused on were Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Illinois. We're not even really going to talk about Wisconsin and Illinois today just for time. And those are races that I think may have gotten a little too far away from the Republicans. It is unlikely that Mark Kirk in Illinois and that um, uh, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, the Republicans there, will be reelected. but North Carolina was not really a race that would have been in that, like, first tier of battlegrounds. No. So that's what's fascinating is now a state like Ohio, which would have been in the first tier, like, by taking it seriously, Rob Portman has put it away. And if you didn't take it seriously and you didn't see you, the, you didn't see the Trump wave coming and know you need to, like, hunker down, now those are the folks that are in trouble. And so now we go to Missouri, where you have, on the one hand, Senator Roy Blunt. Um, Blunt, another name where there's a sort of a family. That's right. His of- son was governor. His son was not the most successful governor. I think his son, like, resigned midterm or, like, left, said, I'm not, you know. And, and Blunt has been, you know, I ran for – I think Blunt ran for leadership – I think Blunt ran for leadership against Boehner in the House back. Like, imagine like this alternate universe where Roy Blunt. He's not a, he's not a new face. He's not he's not a new face, and he's running against a new face. Um, Jason Kander, he's the Secretary of State in Missouri, and for all that Republicans, we often talk about how like, well, Democrats don't really have a bench. If we they did have a bench, Jason Kander is part of that bench, as yeah. is perhaps Kamala Harris, who's likely to be elected senator from Jason California. Jason Kander's been like a top, st- you know, Missouri for all its. Republican leanings. It, this used to be a battleground state like 20 years ago. Missouri was like a bellwether state. It is not a bellwether state anymore. It goes Republican in presidential races. Down ballot statewide, they, Democrats do well. You know, they've done, you know, they've done quite well. You have, you know, a variety of Democratic statewide, but the legislature and congressional races, it's very tough because you have two big Democratic markets in Kansas City and St. Louis, and then a whole lot of Republican everything else. Um, so, so it's tough to translate that into anything other than statewide because, you know, you have the cities where there are lots of Democrats and then you have, you know, everything else where it's just a, like a wipeout. Um, but Jason Kander did that really great ad where he was blindfolded. This is kind of the opposite of some of the gun issues in other states. He was blindfolded and trying to work on a gun, although he was talking about um, background checks, but he was able to unload and load, take apart a gun 
sorry, I don't know what exactly he was doing with a gun, but something he was doing something with it blindfolded. A Mark Putnam ad for folks who are familiar with Mark Putnam's work. That was uh, that was his ad. Um, but we'll see because this is a state that. If this state goes to candor, that probably means Democrats have got the Senate. Yeah, that's one of those ones where this is the, – the, the other reason why this race is interesting is, you know, you've got uh, Kelly Ayotte who's hanging in there even though Trump is unlikely to win New Hampshire. You've got Rob Portman who's going to crush in Ohio even though – Ohio's still kind of a toss-up. Um, you've got uh, you've got a couple of these candidates who are running ahead of Trump. In the most recent Monmouth poll – Roy Blunt was not running ahead of Trump. They were both about the exact same place in the poll. So if you are somebody like Roy Blunt, then this question of are there any crossover voters and how do you create crossover voters becomes more interesting. So he's right now airing ads that explicitly hit on that message we talked about earlier where he is saying – Vote for me, even if you're voting for Clinton, because I'll stop her. So it's like an ad hitting Clinton because he is a Republican in a red state that is under siege. Most of these Republicans that are under siege are Republicans in blue states. Right. You got to be careful running an ad that's an anti-Clinton ad. You don't know how many of those crossover voters there are. In Missouri, it's safer to run that ad. Right, right. So uh, folks were tweeting at us that they wanted to get some – Missouri polling so that the folks can check it out. But that's all been, I mean, there's just a couple polls. God, there really haven't been that many polls in Missouri. I mean, there have just been a few public polls this fall. And the yeah. rest of it is much earlier, so earlier that you can't even really, you know, it's almost really irrelevant. So there's not a lot of info out there. But what we do have suggests this is going to be a potentially close race and is pretty closely tied to tr- Trump's fortunes. Yeah. So I would I would wonder if Trump's sort of polling nosedive in the last week or two, having not been reflected in that Missouri poll, I wonder what the race looks like. Now. Yeah. So Nevada. Nevada's I, the one chance Republicans have to pick one up. Yes. We're not just on defense. Although, so. sorry to say, I heard somebody talk about J- uh, John Ralston, not Jason Ralston, Democratic media consultant, John Ralston, the uh, Nevada At political, yes, the Nevada political uh, dean of the re- political reporting establishment. Nevada is basically him, and he um, said that things look ominous for Republicans. I heard this morning on my way in. Sorry, Kristen, and that looking at the early voting because there's early voting in Nevada that there's a lot more Democrat. The Democrats seem to be outperforming in early voting than Republicans are. Millions of people voting. So, you know, it's tough to always get exactly the right up-to-date information on what that means in some of these states. But that was what his argument was. Polling in Nevada is notoriously mercurial because people work like round the clock at casinos and all kinds of weird shifts. And there's like so much transience in Nevada. When I did work here once, I don't know if this is true anymore, there was a stat where they had to build like a classroom a month in order to keep up with all the people moving in Nevada. I don't know if that is still true after the recession, but it was true for a long time because there were so many people moving there that they just had – there was constant churn. So it's very difficult. Your voter file from six months ago is, you know, not up to date anymore. And on top of that, if you have a high Latino population – all those things make it a very, you know, high cell phones, all that stuff make it super, super hard to nail right. My former boss, um, Mark Melman, who we will get on the show one day, we promise, um, 
He did work for Reed and called it right when this is Reed's seat. This was last time around, I think. Um, called it right when this is all the sheer meaning- angle race. Yes, yes. Uh. Well, you know, candidates matter, right? But you know, he was seen as uh, vulnerable, and all the media polling showed him like consistently a little down, just like one to two points down. But their internals had him consistently a little bit up, and that's where it was. And it was because the media polling then did not do cell phones and. You know, you need to have cell phones in Nevada. So that was part of the reason why um, they called it correctly. Now we have different options. I love how candidates matter is now like throwing pollster shade. Like, well, candidates matter. (laughs) Christine O'Donnell, (laughs) Delaware 2010. Candidates matter. Like, enough said. Speaking of candidates matter, let's talk about Florida. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, Kristen, this is your home state. my home state. So in my home state, this was one of those races that was – Potentially scary land for Republicans because incumbent Senator Marco Rubio was busy doing this thing running for president and had said he was not going to run for Senate. And there were all of these stories about how Marco Rubio hated being in the Senate because it is where dreams go to die. And it turned <laughs> out that actually he does want to go back. So after his presidential campaign did not work out, he jumped back in the race. The field cleared. Um, for the most part, he had to run in a primary against a man named Carlos Baruf, who was kind of trying to be like a Trumpy outsider, but like the Baruf campaign, it didn't really go anywhere. And so Rubio safely wins his primary. Yeah, I've never heard anyone say that name out loud. So Carlos Baruf, <laughs> you've only ever seen it written down, didn't know like Bar- barely Baruf, even. Barely even that. <laughs> Carlos Baruf, that's how you pronounced it. Um, so, you know, with Rubio back in the race, then all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is a much safer seat for Republicans. But nothing is safe, safe this year. Except for Ohio, as I keep mentioning. Right. Which is totally going to burn me when, like, Rob Portman loses and everyone's like, Kristen, you idiot, on the podcast. Right. And so, you know, is the fact that Rubio doing well because of some magical beans that Rubio has? and Or is it because Florida, you know, Florida, question mark, exclamation point? Or is it because Patrick Murphy... The exclamation point is Jeb's. That's Jeb's thing. That's not... Rubio or doesn't get the exclamation point. Is That's it just because... Jeb. Well, you can give it to the whole state. Or is it because Patrick Murphy, who's, you know, beat two of the most unpopular candidates ever you know alan west and alan grayson like you know the they are not known he's not been playing in the majors well i mean you know they were well known and they had a cult following you know but yeah oh yes yes so but anyway they're both very very unpopular So on the one hand they're both young well-spoken you know people have talked about oh are they like a future rising leader in the party um on the other hand rubio's weakness is Again, the whole whatever happened with the presidential race, and then he was out, and then he isn't in, and then he was asked again, are you going to run for president again? And he said no, but I mean, right. Who knows? Yeah. And then on the other hand, Patrick Murphy has been the subject of a lot of really kind of bad coverage around things like his background. I mean, he's – Did he oversell his background? I think Patrick Murphy's like my age somehow. And, you know, his background is that, you know, he comes from a wealthy family and did he kind of oversell what he did? Did did he say he had degrees he didn't have? Did he say he he had a company that he claimed like cleaned up the oil spill in the Gulf? But there's a lot of evidence to suggest that's not true. So it turns out he may not be the best candidate either. So the most recent polling, I think just this morning as I walked in, we saw um, CBS YouGov um, had this race pretty close. Rubio only up two with a lot of undecideds. I think this is going to depend a lot on can Rubio – Rubio always overperforms compared to other Republicans among the Hispanic community. Right. And that's not just coming from the Cubans in South Florida. So can he pull this off? As you have you know, Puerto Rican voters in Central Florida saying like, heck no to Trump, 
are they also then splitting their ticket and saying, but sure, yes, Rubio. Right. So the thing is, when you look at these races on election night is, you know, if you say like, if Marco Rubio wins, is the lesson that, well, you can criticize Trump and then also speak at his convention sort of and endorse him. Like, that's the, no, the lesson is not necessarily that. The lesson could be all these other things. Like, you know, it, it's, it's tempting to view these races through the lens of simply Trump, but as in our very cursory description, candidates matter. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on, you know, state level trends and demography and the candidates and funding and all that jazz. So, okay. Well, so that's our deep dive on the Senate. We again, Illinois and Wisconsin, we're not really chatting about because those are pretty solidly in the D camp. Arizona, that was one that was a contested race, but John McCain, he's been up in double digits in all of the recent polls, recent polls being like two of them. There again, not a ton of information and who knows, things could get squirrely with right. the presidential, but McCain seems safe enough that we're not Right. And Ann Kirkpatrick, she's, you know, she's a solid recruit. So, um, but, you know, something that maybe McCain has been doing correctly. So, uh, so the, the f- last things we're going to talk about then, um, the issues. Gallup has been asking a question. Do you think, uh, that the rep- presidential candidates are talking about issues you really care about or not? And throughout this year, uh, a majority, uh, pretty, you know, 56, 60, 62% of people have said, yes, the presidential candidates are talking about stuff that I care about. That number has fallen below half. We are now only at 48% who say that candidates are talking about issues that matter to them. And looking at information from other elections around this time, say mid-October of 2000, you had 77% of people who said, yes, they're talking about issues I care about. If you look at October of 1992, you had 76% of people saying, yes, they're talking about issues I care about. So normally, three quarters of people say yes instead of less than half. Yeah, and not only that, not only is it the lowest ever right now, it's also Gallup says that normally as election nears, those numbers go up. They don't usually go down, but right now the numbers are going down. So it's not – it's just bad. Bad. But the good news, I guess, is that um, most people are voting the same way as their spouse, according to Pew. People have been asking this question about, like, what is Trump doing or at this can't, you know, race doing for marriages. And by the way, we may have some of that on our Walmart Moms project. Mm, Mar and I, make excellent. sure you're following hashtag Walmart Moms. There may be a little bit on this topic as well. Um, and what they found is, so they asked some questions like, are you voting the same way? Do you expect your spouse or partner to vote the same way as you? And most people say, yes, I expect are my spouse or partner to vote the same way? Um, have you argued with your spouse or partner about the election? Now, if you are voting for the same candidate as your spouse, then you're a little more likely to say no. Almost 90% say no. We haven't argued. If you were voting for different candidates from your spouse, though, 41% of those people say, yes, I have argued with my spouse about the election. That's kind of a lot. I mean, it's not a majority, but it's it's kind of a lot. I I am most fascinated by these questions. And I think we talked about one of these two or three weeks ago where they ask people to guess what their partner is going to do. Um, And so this is another data point uh, on the are there secret Trump, secret Clinton voter, another piece of evidence to add to the pile. Right. Among Trump supporters, men who support Trump, 74 percent think that their wife or partner is supporting Trump, while 17 percent don't know. Um and among women, women who are Trump supporters, they're pretty darn sure that their husbands or yeah. partners are voting there for Trump. There probably aren't a lot of women who are Trump supporters whose husbands are Clinton supporters. 
I would, gosh, I would. 1%. Part oh, of this, how it's much 1%. do I want to focus group those people? There's probably not a lot of those. Oh, man. Okay. And then among Clinton supporters, men who support Clinton, they're pretty sure that their wives or spouses are voting Clinton. And then for women, this is interesting, among female Clinton supporters, 68% think, yep, my husband or partner's voting for Clinton, but 18% say they don't know and 8% say other. So that's, there's a lot of, this yeah. is the secret Trump vote. Yeah. Are they hiding they're hiding it from their wives, hiding it from their their partners. That right. they're, Honey, knows? I have a confession to make. I've been lying to you all along. <laughs> make America great again. I, it's like, no! I don't even know you. <laughs> Pulls out the Trump hat, I, puts it how on. How could you have kept this from me all this time? It's how like, long have you known this? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So speaking of what we know, what do we know now that we did not know before the show, Okay, <laughs> Lesson, everybody. It's never too early to prepare for your next campaign, folks. Get ready. Start now. The Trump effect down ticket may not be as big as people think, but it's definitely – it ain't helping. And if you're not feeling like you're hearing enough about the issues, call your spouse and ask them instead. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at, at the Pollsters, individually at Margie O'Meara and at Kay Soltis-Anderson. Find us at www.thepolsters.com or on Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe to us and make sure you write a review. We'd love to hear from you. Bye. Thanks.